Thanks for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. And I've been asked to speak on uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, and the title is Removing the Rubble and Rebuilding the Walls. So it's from Nehemiah chapter 4, so do feel free to turn to it, but actually I'm not going to read the whole chapter, I'm just going to refer to it and and various verses from it. But basically what's happened is we've been going through this series on Nehemiah, um, this is the point at which they've started building the wall of Jerusalem, uh, of, of, yeah, building the wall, and they start to experience um, opposition from Sanballat and Tobiah, two lovely sounding characters. But Nehemiah just takes action, appropriate action, to uh, deal with any possible enemy attack, and they just keep going. That's basically what this chapter is about. But in verse 10, it says, they start to talk about the rubble. And um, it says, the people in Judah, in verse 10, say, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And I've been meeting with Jenny Chapman this week, and she was talking about all the renovations going on in their home and how she's had to, they've had to clear away the rubble in order to build something new and how backbreaking that is and how time-consuming it is. And that's what the situation is. People were becoming discouraged because of the rubble. Um, And so I just, you know, I find it really interesting. I said to the Lord, when I was given this chapter, and I knew what the title was going to be, and I said to the Lord, what is this rubble? What is rubble in our lives? And I came to church that Sunday morning, and Pete had a prophecy about rubble. I love it. When you ask God a question, you get a quick answer. It doesn't always happen that way in the Christian life, but it's fantastic when it does. So, you know, I think when God gives us words, we need to really take note of them. So I've written this one up. This was given to us on on the 10th of January. God said this, I know the plans I have for you. He was speaking to us as a church, I believe, and as individuals. Plans for your good, not to harm you. I have plans to bring you into good places, new places. I am calling you to new paths this year. I am bringing your drawbridge down. I will change the landscape as you allow me to clear the path and the rubble. Sorry, it's too far away. Is it too far away? Okay. Where do you want me to? (laughs) Just rearrange it. Okay, thank you. Um, I will change the landscape as you allow me to clear the path and the rubble. I want to remove the rubbish so that new things can happen. Others will watch you, and as you allow me to change you, others will follow. They will respond to the light in you. It's going to happen this year, but I need to remove some rubble to get you on the new paths. I mean, that's what the Lord said. And I think, you know, it's, we need to... We need to listen. We need to take on board. I'm going to quote a few of the words that God's given us in recent days. They need opportunity to just shut down and, and downtime and not always to be listening to language. So, um, and, I was, and this mother was saying to me, yes, you know, her little six-year-old, you know, he, he falls asleep in the car on the way home from school. He slept all the way through 
um, the evening without having any tea. She put him to bed and he slept through the night with his clothes on and woke up in the morning. And I said, my goodness, he, you know, he does need listening breaks. And I said, does he have downtime at home? And she said, well, he has after-school club and then he does fencing and French and swimming and gymnastics. And I think there might be something else that they've recently stopped for. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that can be what our lives are like. We're just go, go, go all the time. And addiction, action-addicted lives, and we just sometimes need to stop for a minute. Sometimes it can be other people's expectations and a feeling of guilt that drives us. But we need to just, you know, slow down sometimes. I was reading about bucket lists. This seems to be a big thing at the moment, doesn't it? This idea that you have a bucket list of things to do before you die. And um, somebody's collated them, and apparently number one is swimming with dolphins... And number 18 is, um, it's apparently seen this earth from another planet. So I reckon some people are going to die disappointed. But um, this whole idea that you've got to fit it all in now, you know, I just sometimes think that can get in the way of, of what God wants to do. And another area that I've just put down there is past regret. You know, sometimes we can be hampered in moving on with God. The rubble in our life that God wants to sort out is regret about things that we've said or done or thought in the past. And I just want to say this morning that because of Jesus, we can come out of hiding. You know, when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden fell, when they sinned and fell, um, the first thing they did was hid, wasn't it? They hid from God. And then the next thing they did was they tried to rationalise, they, they tried to pass the blame onto each other and onto the situation. It wasn't me, it was her. No, it wasn't me, it was him. It was, it was a situation. And, you know, we've been doing that, I think, as human beings ever since. That's how we deal with things that have gone wrong in our lives. We try to hide from God and we try and justify things. And because of that, we don't deal with them properly. But I just... I just want to say this to you. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And what I want to say is because Jesus lived a perfect life and died and then rose again victoriously, we can come out of hiding. We don't need to hide away any longer we can confess our sins. And you might think, what's confession? Confession is just openly and honestly telling God what he knows and we know about ourselves. That's what it is. Without the fear of being punished or, or rejected by God. He won't reject you. He won't punish you. He says, if you will be open with me about the things that have gone wrong, the, the, the worst thoughts you've had, you know, I, I will forgive you. And I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means that doesn't just mean the cleansing there and then, but it means the chance of change. God is saying, I can actually, we can actually do something about these thoughts, these actions, these areas of regret. Now, I want to say to you this morning, when God looks at your life, he's not looking over your shoulder at what you've done in the past. If you've brought it to Jesus and you've confessed it, he's forgiven it and he's forgotten it. And if he's forgotten it, you don't need to beat yourself up about it either. If he's forgotten it, why would you continue to think about it and beat yourself up? How would people like Peter, who denied Jesus three times, and Paul, who um, 
who, who persecuted Christians, how would they get beyond that? It's because they knew the truth that God is looking at the future. When God looks at your life this morning, he's thinking, he's not thinking about the sin, he's thinking about where are you missing in your relationship with him? Where do you need an upgrade? Where are you going in the future? That's what God's thinking. So don't give in to past regret. And then finally, and I know Pete talked about this a lot last week, but listening to the lies of the enemy. If we listen to the lies of Satan, it it can really affect the way we play. And I I find it interesting when I was just reading in Nehemiah verse 1. It says, when Sanballat and Tobiah heard that the people of God were rebuilding, they became angry. And Graham's referred to that a little bit this morning and just said, you know, there is a sense of anger that I think comes initially from from Satan, the evil one. But people who are anti-God are often angry. I don't know if you've ever noticed that on the television when you watch people who are talking against Christianity. There's, a, there's an anger about it sometimes. And the enemy comes with um, weapons of ridicule and intimidation. So in this verse 1, he talks about these feeble Jews. These feeble Jews. Will they succeed? What they're building will be torn down. Can they bring these stones to life from the heaps of rubble? And that's pretty similar to the sort of thing we face today, isn't it? When you're listening sometimes on the media and you hear the story, oh, Christians are outdated. It's very old-fashioned. We don't believe that anymore. Um, It's been disproved by science. Um, The churches are emptying. Those are the sort of messages that you often hear in the media. And the thing about religious nutters, I had to laugh because... um, I was watching, I love history programs, I was watching uh, a program about the Mayflower pilgrims, the people who set out from Plymouth and went across to America and became the founding fathers of America. And there was this um, historian who was talking about it, and she said, she said, they were a very small group of extreme people, and if we never heard of them again, who would be surprised? They were religious nutters who insisted on the most literal reading of the Bible and what they took to be the word of God. It was just a look on her face. They, they actually believed that the Bible was the word of God. They weren't the people you would be expecting to found a new colony. Who could guess their historic voyage would come to define the moment America was born? But the fact is, they were, in the long term, extraordinarily successful in founding the world's greatest democracy. And I was listening to her saying this. They were religious nutters, really, who believed the Bible. And, and it was amazing they amounted to anything. And I thought, but, but isn't that precisely what history does teach us? That the people who believe in God often are the people who achieve something against all odds. The Bible's full of examples of that. And C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Sorry, am I going too fast, Bridget? They just read a quote from the book. Yes. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> okay. But I just want to point out that the threatened opposition didn't materialise. You know, there were all these threats... But in fact, it says they refused to be intimidated. They kept going with what God had called them to do. And the enemy backed down. And I think that's often the way 
the times when we do stand up. The Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And that's what happened here. So we've talked a bit about the things that can be rubble in our lives. And I just want to encourage you to think, if there is rubble in your life, it may be some of the things I've mentioned, it may be something completely different. Just something that stops you going forward with God. And God has said, I want to remove the rubble. So just give him an opportunity to let you know what that is for you. And then... How can we make a straight path for the Lord? Like I was referring to earlier, we were talking about the fact it says every um, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I think one of the things that's important is about letting go. Um, And by that I mean that, you know, when difficult situations come into our lives, sometimes we have to let go of our our sense of how things should be. (laughs) We have to die to our own sense of how things should be. And we should have to seek God's perspective on that situation, ask him what his views are. And there's a real choice involved there. Because sometimes things happen to me, and I, I think I could say to God, I, my initial reaction is I feel annoyed. And then I say to God, okay, how are you seeing this situation? Give me your perspective. But sometimes I think, actually, I don't want your perspective, God. I just want to feel sorry for myself and feel cross here. So there is a real choice but um, sometimes it's about trusting God with that difficult person or situation and laying down your need to understand. So it's the laying, letting go. And then the other thing is just about taking hold. And, you know, we've talked quite a lot and sung quite a lot about this morning, which was really encouraging, Debbie, about being sure of our identity and the promises that God has given us. You know, I think... I've just been impressed recently. I've been reading the story of David and Goliath. And David was somebody who knew who he was in God. And that was why he was able to face Goliath. Because for those of you who perhaps aren't familiar with the story, an Old Testament story where the people of God were facing their enemies and they had this giant called Goliath who was about nine foot tall and he was saying, you know, if I manage to defeat one, one person from your side, then you will all serve me. Um, if you defeat me, then we'll all serve you. So it was like one-on-one combat, and none of the Israelites were very keen to take on Goliath. But David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David had been anointed to be king of Israel. So he knew who he was, and he knew he wasn't king of Israel yet. So he knew he wasn't going to die. And so that's when he came against Goliath, it was in that knowledge of who he was and who he'd been called to be. And, and it's the same with Jesus. You know, there were times in Jesus' earthly life where he said things and they were so angry with him that the crowd, they took him like they were going to stone him or throw him over the edge of a cliff. And he says Jesus walked through them and went his way. Why? Because Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. He knew his time hadn't yet come. So it's about knowing who we are in God. And sometimes that means actively taking on board what God says to you in prophecies and promises. And I just want to say that because um, when Andy Robinson came and spoke a while back, he, he talked about people who've got words in journals, promises and prophecies and words of scripture that God's given them. And that really spoke to me. And I sort of went back and I've started looking at those prophecies and promises that God's given me. And I thought, well, a lot of them are about being. 
rather than doing. Um, they weren't telling me to go off to Kenya or they were about being a kind of person. But I've, I've started actively taking them on board and thinking, yes, this is who heaven says I am. This is who I am in this world. And it's really helped me in terms of confidence and stepping out in God and seeing God's hand at work in my life. So I just really want to recommend that to you. If God's given you promises or scriptures, go back and look at them and actively say, Lord, this is who you say I am. This is who I am and live them out. And sometimes the biggest changes in our lives can be a bit under the radar, but they're quite seismic. And that that has been one for me. So I think I've just put, yes, what can you do questions always linked to who do you think you are answers. And it is about our identity, knowing who we are. Um, And I'm just going to say one or two more things. I'm going to stop because I'm aware time's going. Um, I'm just going to talk about last thing um, is effort is needed to clear the rubble. And I just want to share this with you because this came as a real help to me. I was reading something in a book recently about the difference between legalism, which is about trying to earn God's favour by rules and regulations and, and keeping you know, the tick list, and grace. And Gateway is a church that is very much a grace church. We believe that grace gives space, um, that we're, our acceptance with God is by grace. But if you're like me and you're a very kind of concrete thinking kind of person, you can get a bit confused because I, what I used to think was, oh, it's grace, so I don't need to do anything. I can just relax and let go and let God. And then I said, oh, no, I feel I'm a bit, a bit lazy. I need to work hard um, and make every effort. And, and then I think, yeah, but now I'm getting into legalism and performance-related Christianity, you know, and I'd, I'd sort of go between one and the other and find it quite difficult. And this really helped me. Somebody said to me, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And that made a real difference to me. I could understand that, that effort is an action, And effort is what you do. You're working from God's affirmation. You're working from a place where you know God has already given you his approval and you're working from it, whereas legalism is when you're trying to work for his affirmation. So one is an action and the other is an attitude. And I suppose what I'm saying this morning is effort's okay. (laughs) It's okay to work hard for God as long as you're not working to get his approval, but you're working because you already have it. Okay. And the, the other thing just to say is don't become weary in well-doing. Do you know something? It is, the Bible says don't become weary in well-doing because it is possible to become weary in well-doing. And there's that amazing story in the New Testament with Jesus where a woman who's got a hemorrhaging problem reaches out to grab him because she, she says, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And... And she says, as she touches him, Jesus instantly felt that power had gone out of him. Just think about that. And he stopped and he said, who touched me? And the disciples were saying, everyone's touching you, you're in a crowd. And he said, no, this is different. Power has gone out of me. And sometimes, for those of you who are busy serving the Lord, you know, it it involves giving out, whether it be serving practically or praying for people, counselling. You know, you can can give out and you you can become depleted. And there's only one person that doesn't get depleted by much giving, and that's God. But we do, and so it's really important that you take time to rest in God, draw back into him for rest and refreshment. 
So I think somebody once said, yeah, if you're tired, have a rest. If you're weary, go to Jesus. There's a difference between physical tiredness and weariness. One, you need a rest, and the other, you need to go to Jesus. And if you're both, then you need both. So if you're like Elijah and you just come down from Mount Carmel and you've just called down far from heaven, and then he sort of says, oh, I'm tired, I want to die. You know, God gave him bread and water, cake, I think it was, and water, and let him sleep. And then he also spoke to him and re-energised him. You, we need to be aware of that. And I just want to, and I'm encouraged that this has been mentioned this morning, um, I just want to bring this morning a word of encouragement for older Christians either Christians who are older in years, the older people amongst us, include myself, or um, people who have been on the road a long time in terms of Christian things. And I just think that the emphasis in society is on staying young and not ageing. You know, have a blast while you last. And there's not a lot of emphasis on the heart. The focus is very much on the physical. And I went on a, a spa day recently. And for those of you who, who, who don't know about spa days, you, you, um, you sort of lie face down on this kind of heated ironing board while somebody pummels you on the back. And then you turn over and they put all the exfoliating scrubs and things on your face. And it's, it's lovely. And then you sit in a quiet, darkened room with birds tweeting. And it's very relaxing. So I recommend it. But... But afterwards, this lady gave me this list of things that she thought I ought to buy, products, <laughs> which were things like anti-aging serums and hydrating masks, and there was quite a healthy price tag attached to them. And I just said to look, I can't afford to stay perennially youthful. I'm just going to have to get old. Um, but, but, you know, the Bible says, it says in the Bible, in Romans 1, it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And a lot of people have bought into the lie that this body is all there is and that getting old is terrifying. But the Bible says something different. This is such an opportunity for those of us to share the good news about the blessed hope. The Bible says this. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So this earthly body may be wearing out, but it's not the end of me. There's a process going on inside me that you can't see, but where I'm being renewed and I'm going to live forever. And the Bible says that the Lord will come back and he will give us new bodies like his glorious body. So I just want to encourage people who are feeling a bit older. And, um, and this is literally the last thing I'm going to say. Um, to be like Caleb, and I just want to encourage people to read in numbers about this man of God. He was one of the spies I spoke about earlier who was sent to spy in Canaan. And um, he came back and gave a good report. He said, you know, we can take this land. And i just saying to you, be like Caleb. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly, and I believe that's what God wants us to do this morning Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that work is not in vain. Continue to serve the Lord throughout the ageing process. As you get older, the good news is that your faith can remain vibrant. Continue growing, maturing, serving, venturing, enjoying. He didn't look for retirement, but reassignment. You know, when, when they got, he had to 
it was hard because he had to wait 40 years to get to the promised land because God said that the unbelievers wouldn't get there. Think how many funerals he had to attend of his friends. He had to wait another 40 years. And then when he got there, he, took, he was willing to fight those giants that he'd been willing to fight 40 years previously, but the others weren't ready. He was ready. And, you know, all the, all the names of all the spies are written down in the Bible, but nobody remembers the names of the others. But people still name their children Joshua and Caleb because they were the two that came back with a good report. So just want to say the last thing is... I've said that about six times, but this really is the last thing. <laughs> it's F.B. Meyer. This is an amazing man. He was an elderly man who preached well into his 80s, and um, this is what he said, the last sheaves that fall beneath your sickle will be the heaviest. The width of your swathe will be the greatest as you turn towards home. And it's just that sense of, as you're coming towards the end, yeah, you get new strength in your arm. We're all in this together. We're all called to rebuild the walls. And in in chapter 4, everybody had their own place to be. But when the trumpet called, we all came together and helped. And sometimes it can be difficult to put your tools down. If you're building your bit of the wall, to put your tools down when the trumpet sounds to go and help somebody else that's in need. But I just want to say thank you this morning to all the people who've done that for me. (laughs) And um, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're a young Christian or younger in years, um, and there's somebody older that you look at, and you perhaps, you don't speak to them very often, but they encourage you, just by being there, just by their faithfulness, an older Christian that encourages you by their faithfulness and integrity, go and tell them. Just say, look, you really encourage me. It does me good to see you here. I might not talk to you every week, but it does me good to know that you're here and that you encourage me. And if you're the person that they come to, don't say, oh, it's not me, it's the Lord, or, or say, are you calling me old, or something like that. Just, just say thank you, receive it graciously, and pray for each other. Ha, ha, ha.